What's happening, weirdos? This is a bonus episode. Stephen Colbert. Can you believe it? I can't. I do want to thank the Paley Center for Media. This is a conversation that I had with Stephen as a part of Paley Fest LA 2019, billed as an evening with Stephen Colbert. Thank you to the Paley Fest uh, for asking me to do it. Thank you to the Paley Fest for allowing us to release this as a bonus episode. Uh, obviously, you'll see it's not a traditional episode, but it is an incredible chat. And I mean, it's not traditional because it's in front of about 3,000 people. <laughs> so that's one of the biggest live interviews we've ever done. I was joking uh, with Stephen afterwards that I was like, backstage, I said, what do you want to talk about? And he just said, whatever you want. And basically, we just went out there, riffed. There were no notes. There was no planning. There was no pre-interview. And uh, just two sort of like-minded guys. You know, he's he's mystically leaning. He's obviously into comedy. And he's absolutely one of my all-time favorites, um, just pretty much in every realm. So I'm so honored. Uh, and again, thank you to the uh, Paley Fest for letting us use it. Um, this That's it. No ads, nothing to plug. I just want to say, enjoy the bonus episode live at Paley Fest LA 2019. Here is my chat with the incredible Stephen Colbert. Get into it. Let's just start. You ready? You're an amazing crowd. I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I know Stephen feels the same way. Let's welcome the incomparable Stephen Colbert, everybody. Stephen! Thanks, everybody. Oh, my goodness. This is so classy. This is impressive. I don't care for these chairs. (laughs) No. I don't like it. These are very modern. It's very Dick Cavett, though. These chairs. Yeah, a little Dick Cavett. Ask your grandparents. He was a very nice man. He's still a very nice man. Yeah. Uh, Nice to see you. So nice to see you. It's always a pleasure. Always a good feeling when I see you because... Uh, you're one of the best guests to have on because well, you always Steven. have something to say. You you always have uh, not even material. You always have a story to tell, and you're a joy to listen to. You're a vacation. Oh, that's yeah, very. I kind. can start drinking early when I'm <laughs> coming on. That's a the that's, show. That's very funny. I, first of all, I really appreciate that, and obviously, everybody here is a tremendous fan. I am also a tremendous fan. Uh, I told this to Chris, your producer. In the side stage last time I did your show, I go, I always save my best stuff for Steven. Because you're a wonderful improviser, and you're present, and you're locked in, just like you're being right now. And that is what makes it great. <laughs> it's like awkward to call it out. It's sure, like When exactly. you're on a date, and you're like, I'm yeah. feeling sex vibes. Like, don't do that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Best thing to do in the middle of an improv scene is go, you're improvising really well right now. <laughs> wow. Uh, great yes ending. I really don't like these I hate chairs these either. Chairs. They don't turn. They don't. They're very they don't bad turn. chairs. I want to break them in or something. They're like Doctor yes. Who chairs. Mm-hmm. They're black mirror mm-hmm. chairs. Mm-hmm. Is that deli- <laughs> <laughs> there's no, there's... there's your photo, Paley Fest. These, these chairs are built for someone with a much younger butt. Yeah. <laughs> I, 
My, yo, this is good. It's good. It's good. These are not for our butts. We can make it past the chairs, Pete. So I understand you're on the paleo diet. That's what this is all about? Yes. How's that working out? It's good. It's good. French fries. Yep. And tacos. All the things a caveman had. If he, if he could, don't you think a caveman would eat french fries? That's my whole thing about the paleo diet, which is what this festival is all about. <laughs> is that if a caveman knew you were forgoing a croissant because you were trying to mimic him, he'd kill you with a sharpened seashell. Right. And take your croissant. And take your croissant and right. go, this is better than anything I did right. in all my long 20 years. <laughs> But you'd have no teeth. You'd yeah, have no teeth know. at age 20. They don't floss. <laughs> do we don't know. We don't know. Do you floss? You look like a flosser. Do you want an honest answer? Yeah. And then, <laughs> How honest do you want me to be tonight? How honest would you like me to be tonight? That sounds like a seven. I do not, I do not floss. Yeah. Until the, the night... <laughs> <laughs> Is there, yeah. is there a dental hygienist in the house? Oh, I'm or was sorry. that my wife who flosses every day? Who was, I've been lying to her for 30 years. Big no, floss. I don't. I, I mean to. I it's mean hard. to be a good Christian and floss. <laughs> Jesus wants you to floss. You know that, right? Loaves and fishes getting those You've got to get there in there. Yeah. Got to get in there. Yeah, he, yeah. he turned water into Listerine once. Yes. <laughs> We're going to make a lot of Jesus jokes we just are. for us. Just for us. <laughs> yes. Two people. It's going to be a heavily, heavily, heavily religious childhoods, right? Yeah, we did. I was different. You were Catholic. And you were different. And I was... <laughs> I was Catholic. And you're going to hell? What is this? <laughs> I forget what it is. It what, was, what was your extraction? Uh, evangelical. Sure. Protestant. That's kind of broad, though. Fairly. I mean, yeah. broad in who we believe is going to hell. Is that what you mean? Right. <laughs> Me, including you. Me, specifically yeah, me. No. I love listening to uh, Christian radio. Why? Because occasionally I go like, oh yeah, I, I enjoy that. Yeah, I remember that story of the Bible. And then sometimes I like hearing that I'm going to go to hell because I'm a Catholic. I enjoy it sometimes. Just for old times sake. I just get, because I grew up in South Carolina. I heard a fair amount then. Yeah. Yeah. Did that fuel you like it did me? That feeling like that you want to che- uh, please the church, you want to please God, and then you sort of want to take that to the streets and please audiences? No, no, I want to please my mom. I want to please my mom. Really? That was, that's where I was really getting the religion from. I wasn't getting it Me from... Me too? I wasn't really getting it from, you know, <clears throat> Father Hopwood or uh, Father that, Waters. I thought that, that's what you called your dad for a second. <laughs> Old Father Hopwood. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your dad. Hop on Popwood. No, my mom was the more religious one in my family, too. My and father, I, they were equally religious. Oh, they were. They were equally religious. My father was sort of an intellectual Catholic. He read a lot of French... Christian philosophy, humanist philosophy, Jacques Maritain, Léon Blois, and uh, my mother was a little more, uh, a little more mystical, maybe. Yeah. A little more. Well, didn't she say something? I, I, I'm sorry. Keep going. No, no, I'm all done. <laughs> no, no, no. I don't want to talk about my mother now. You're, Go no, ahead. No, no, no. This is about your mother. This no, but what was, what was the question? Did she? Your say? mother said something beautiful that I actually. This is Patrick. Patrick brought us a chair. Leave these here. Thank, Thank you. you. Just leave these here. And what was your name? Kiri. And Kiri. Kiri? Kiri. What kind of an accent is that? Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's nice. That is nice. That's nice. 
Now we're very, paley these are, no, This is very actor studio. Yeah. Can we talk to Stephen Colbert? <laughs> Hello, I'm Stephen Colbert. <laughs> well, that's, well, let's talk about your mother, and then we could, we could talk about how I you... I would love to talk about my mother. Well, your mother, correct me, you will, because I'm paraphrasing. I will 100% correct you. She said something very beautiful about how does it play out in the scope of eternity. Isn't yeah, that she right? used to say, like, if you're particularly anxious about something, or you feel you'd made some terrible mistake, or there was some crisis in your life right now, she would say, well, I mean, look at it in the light of eternity. What, how would God see this moment? Yeah. You know, try not to focus so much on what's happening right now. I have to imagine in the pressure cooker, the lovely, beautiful showbiz pressure cooker that is late night. Sure, which is what you want. You kind of want the pressure cooker. But there have to be times that you zoom out and go, okay, the prop's not ready or the guest is whatever. Not great. You do do that. And you zoom out. Not as often as I should. (laughs) Sometimes my mother used to always say, oh, just go to the balcony. She would say, if you're really mad about something, go up there and watch what's happening from up there. I, I do that, metaphorically, that's how I do that. I actually have a balcony in my theater. I could do that literally yeah. if I wanted, yeah. but... <laughs> I like it. I like it. It continues. I'm going to give that house elf a sock when this is over and let her free. <laughs> I'm going to set you free, Dobby! What did he, you said you are going to give her a socking? I'm going to give her a sock. Oh, a sock. I thought you meant a sock. Are you familiar with the Harry Potter uh, series of instructional videos? Have you not? Were you not allowed to read them as a child because of your Christian upbringing? Because of the witchcraft? How dare you think I'm 19 years old? (laughs) That's late. You're very youthful. You're very youthful. Well, thank you. Moisturize. Floss, really. But... (laughs) Really? That's why? That's the secret. That's why my face feels like a catcher's mitt? I haven't... (laughs) No, you look great. Thank you. Well, oh, no, just let it go. Let, it, let go? it go? Just let it go. What does comedy say? Comedy says leave the cap on the floor, right? My mother would say leave the cap on the floor. Your mom would be looking at the cap from the balcony. She would be saying, let the waiter get the cap. <laughs> oh, <laughs> fancy. Yeah, don't, don't pick up. You pick up, you drop the fork, don't pick it up again. That's the funnier choice. Like a toddler. <laughs> These are the questions <laughs> you came to hear asked. I do want to know what techniques, because as I'm watching that amazing reel, and you've had so many amazing moments, it's incredible what you've done in Late Night. Oh, nice. What do you do when you don't feel it? And I'm not saying that to... Like, you make yourself feel it. Yeah. Well, the audience makes you feel it. I mean, hopefully, if the audience is there and present and excited, to, I mean, they're always excited to be there, but if they share their energy with you, then the audience is like a magic carpet ride. I'll go on, I can't be sick on stage. Like, I'm never sick on stage. Yeah. I can be in a ter- terrible... Uh, physical shape and it, or like literally physically ill or at the end of a long run of the show and I go out and if the audience is there I feel perfectly fine yeah you know I feel cured in that moment yeah I and I was I was actually when I was yo- when I was younger and um, had you know a bit of a dirty squirrel cage up in my brain a lot of anxiety a lot of like sort of crippling anxiety when I was younger and, like, where I would be backstage just curled in a ball waiting for this moment to be over. I was so anxious. Yeah. And I would hear my cue, and I'd go on stage, and I'd feel perfectly fine. Is that on right? stage. And then it would all go away. I, because it's, I, think, I think as much as I want to do the show for the audience, I actually want their company. I mean, in a way, what we do as a host of the show is that we're giving the audience our company. Like, you're establishing a community. Right. 
And, and that's why it's sort of like the host of the show establishes what the community is that night. That's like right. What the party you're throwing is. Yeah. And I need the audience so much. I want, I want that. What do we want to be? Not alone. That's what we want, to not be alone. Right. And so I love the company of the audience, and, and I try to show it to them and respect that from them. And I always feel better once I keep that in mind, that I'm out there. We're out there to keep each other company tonight. And, and staying present to feel it, because they're giving it to you. Right. And but, be reactive to it, to know, to know exactly. I, do, I, have, I have a few things. I'm not going to tell you what they are in case you ever come to the show. But I do a few things every night, always in the same order, to know what the audience is like. What, whether they're looking at me. Whether they're one Steven, person talking to me that You're night. right. I'm so with you as a stand-up and as somebody that does TV things occasionally. Yep. There's a test. I, my last HBO special, this isn't about me. There's a moment where you just... <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Welcome to an evening about crashing being canceled. I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a test where you go out and you're trying to prove I'm here... Are you here? Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. Because you're trying to... The better performers that I know aren't doing comedy at the audience. They're trying to make a show happen with the audience, but that's a a feeling that you have. Yeah, you want to know how how closely is the audience listening to what you're saying and how much energy you have to give to them so that connection is made. Right. And there's like two or three things that I do right before the show that maybe no one would notice but me, but I, I know from the audience's reaction whether they're actually present. Yeah. And then, then, and then I know how much I can play and how much... Right. Because if, if the audience isn't there, then you, in some ways you actually have to be careful not to get too tight because you want to muscle them. You want to make them be there. Yeah. And you can't make them be right. there. Right. It That's always right. has to be this invitation. For me, at least my style. No, it's an openness. Yeah. And, it, and it's an invitation. Uh, when I did a talk show briefly after Conan, and he said, think of what the writers do as they're building you a playground, and then you go out and play on it. And the nights that would be terrible were when you think it's about the words. And that's what you do so well. I always see you in the interviews and the monologue and the desk bits. You're staying in it and living in it, whether it's good or bad. It doesn't matter. It's about a shared sense of beingness with the audience. At its best. At its best. Yeah. But it's not ha- always, it doesn't always happen. There have to be nights... I, I'm a performer who sometimes likes to blame the audience. There have to be nights... Can't do it. There have Cannot Steven. do it. Cannot do it. I may know that some audiences are better than others, but it's never the audience's fault. Well, let's focus... <laughs> oh, oh, an happens. audience agrees with that? <laughs> How odd! Right. Uh-huh. Let's focus on the first part. Sometimes the audience is not only good, but they're physically attractive. And, <laughs> and that's distracting. That's distracting. When you look out, everyone, everyone out there could have a modeling career or so, personal trainer. You go like, no, no, focus on the words. Well, this is, this is L.A. This is. All the sure. hottest people from their high school yep. moved here. Yep. How did you feel? I love it out here. Yeah, how, how did you feel? Because Hollywood... I said to my wife, Valerie, who's actually right there. Hi, Val. We were driving down Hollywood Boulevard, and I was, like, looking at the... To- yeah, there she is. Where's my wife? Hold on. Where's your- yeah, we know where your wife is. Where's my wife? Your wife has better seats than my wife. <laughs> what the hell is going on? So I wouldn't be distracted by looking at you. That's why they put you over there. Uh-huh. <laughs> Is that your manager that just went like this? Somebody just went like this to you. That is. That's James Baby Doll Dixon over there, I think. Is that, is that Baby Doll? 
There you go. How, do, how does that uh, blend? I, I think the, how does the, blend? the late night lifestyle and obviously you're a devoted family person. Oh, it's actually pretty good because, yeah. I mean, the hours can be really long and you do a lot of shows a year. We do 202, 200, something, 202, something like that a year. And they're an hour and it's a long day. It's a long day. But I know where I'm going to live. And I know where I'm going to every day. Right. I mean, as showbiz goes, it's strangely normative. Yeah. You know, there are long days, and it's an odd profession. But I've, I, I mean, I have friends who are lawyers and bankers who have, like, worse hours than For I sure. do. Yeah. And the audience travels to you. You've sort of flipped right. the script. Right. I know where I live. I, my wardrobe stays in one place. Right. I, you know. Right. And it w- I have a mini fridge. <laughs> <laughs> you actually have a great gift basket at your talk show. Oh, good. Filled with stuff from your hometown. Sure, a lot of things from Charleston, South Carolina. In there. Yeah. Yeah. Socks. Thank you. Three Charlestonians. <laughs> Three Charlestonians were attractive enough in high school to come to Los Angeles. <laughs> now, this is not uh, a leading question thinking that it's impossible. I think it's quite possible. I'm curious how you do it. How do you sort of Breaking Bad scrub off the adrenaline of, of doing a hundred some shows a year and then going home and, and watching the Great British Bake Off. I mean, that's a. Di- <laughs> I mean, are you able to unwind? I, I, I'm, I'm. Well, being I mean, I don't live I'm in Manhattan. Interested. I live out in the suburbs, so. Okay. I go. We have a post mortem. Like, there's there's a great routine, you know. Like your body gets used to it. So it's no, it's it's not the most exciting thing to describe. But we the show's over. We go back uh, into one of the empty dressing rooms or green rooms where guests have been. We have a post-mortem. How long did we go over? What's going on? Right. But that, what's that? No one laughed at that. Please take that out of the show. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so sad that that didn't work. Yes. Let's try that again tomorrow night or something. And then, and then I go up to my office. I take my makeup off. I talk to my lovely assistant, Amy Cole. We talk about anything she needs to know from me or I, or I, need, I need to tell her. And then it, takes me, it, it am- takes me about 45 minutes to an hour to get home. Yeah. Because New York. And that's when it's dissolved. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I listen to music or I might read scripts for the next day or something like that. But no, it's much easier now than the old show. I didn't have a character to get out of. Right. In the old show, I was that guy. Yeah. My father-in-law was not sure you were doing a character. He just loves... Well, that's what I love. You I just loved and agreed with that guy. He, I love you... that. I was, it always made me happy when people not necessarily thought I was that guy, but, but really liked what that guy was saying on one level. Yeah. People who like the surface level of it, yeah. it's really nice. Because I'm from South Carolina, and that's a fairly uh, blood-red state. And I was, I was thrilled when people home thought I meant it. Right. <laughs> it made going to, like, the pig picking way, or like a, an oyster way better. Way better. What I, another wife question. I'm- You're right about Hillary. She is a lizard person. <laughs> So no, there's no no problem. There's no problem. <laughs> I would do, you know, this funny thing you should say about the adrenaline though is that I take my uh, I being a man in his fifties, I take my blood pressure, and uh, because there are there there's a lot of times, men in their fifties that are like we're supposed to be doing that. Yeah, like there there have been times there have been times when like my doctor's like I can't let you leave the office because your skull might pop because your blood pressure. Yeah. And when the show gets very pressure filled, right. I take my blood pressure every day. Well, you're live. After the show, it's way higher. The, the, the live shows have to be very, very adrenalizing, especially when you're reading results of elections and rolling with them on right. the fly. Yeah, but that's exciting, though, because the audience is so 
juiced for a live show. They know that anything could happen, and they know that this is all just sort of happening on the fly. And it's all being written in about an hour and a half before we go on stage. And, yeah. and the final jokes are all being written in the last half hour, or last 45 minutes, because half hour we have to close it so the, the production end of the show can actually produce all the graphics and get the clips and, 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 and do the video montages, and all that has to happen in a very short period of time. Right. So there's no rehearsal. It's all just creating the script on the fly with the, the room f- full of um, my writers in one room, my, my two head writers, Opus Moreski and Jay Katz here, um, my executive uh, producer, Chris Lecht, is over there, my creative executive producer, Tom Purcell, uh, my co-exec, Barry Julian, uh, my supervising producer, Matt Lappin, my script supervisor, Deanna Story, and I just are coalescing just reams and reams of, of jokes that are generated on the fly, and we're paring them down into exactly, how, what is it? What is it with commercials? 42 minutes, something like that? It's exactly 42 minutes on the second, and that all has to be created. And I know the news does this every day, but they don't have to make jokes in right. addition right. to that. And so, They're yeah, you're, you're, you're completely, you're, I, I, I feel like I, could, like I could take a bullet and still go on stage on a live show. Yeah. I don't, want to, like- I don't want to try that. I don't want to try that, but, <laughs> but yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. You can't do it all the time because you're ruined for the rest of the week. Right. Because then you have to do the, regu- the, uh, the rest of the schedule. Well, I heard you talking about the difference between anxiety, which you already touched on briefly, yes. and, and urgency, and how urgency can be more mobilizing than anxiety, which can be more fetal positioning. Sure. An- anxiety, anxiety is a, like fear is a great motivator, but you, can, you, but you have to transform that with intention. What do I want to do? You're anxious about whether you're going to get it done. But if you can take that anxiety and channel it into an intention, this is what I want to say tonight, or, right. or these are the, the aspects of the story that everybody's talking about today that I want to talk about, that urgency, or that, that intention transforms the poison of, of, of anxiety mm. into the, just the pure adrenaline of urgency. Beautiful. Yeah. What, what is... But you, can't, you have to sort of acknowledge your anxiety to do it. You can't deny that you have it. Yeah, you wave to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have tea with it. Right. Or let it eat you and know that it's not going to kill you. What's it going to do? Eventually kill you. <laughs> by, by destroying your organs. Well, somebody explained anxiety as, as, as it's sitting shotgun. You know, it's not steering. Right. But you can't ignore it. But it's one of the things that, that brings you into your element. I mean, that's what's making at least part of it that's adrenalizing you and making your cold go away or, 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 or an injured foot or something that's helping you get out there. I like the injured foot. Can you tell that I once limped on stage and walked off stage? That happened to me once. Did you really? You were, yeah. you had, what, how did, what did you do to your foot? I dropped a, I lifted up in New York, I lifted up my air conditioner and a brick fell on my foot. And it doesn't sound like, but the, bur, the foot is embarrassing. It looks like a, have you ever seen an x-ray of your foot? It looks like a, a fish skeleton from a Heathcliff cartoon. Yes. It's all these little baby tic-tac bones. Sure, it's sure. a joke. It's a wonder that you're all here you should all be wearing corrective boots and eye patches. I can't believe we made it. My mother made sure I had really good shoes as a child. What do you mean? I'm one of 11 children. Jimmy, Eddie, Mary, Billy, Mark, Tom, Jay, Lulu, Paul, Peter, Stephen. Goodwill hunting? Yes. And the, the, uh, being the youngest, I got a lot of hand-me-down clothes, but she never gave us hand-me-down shoes. Ah. Because she's like, it's too important. It's too important. So I always had the, oh, the thing that my mother oh, never skimped on. Oh, big floss and big shoes. shoe are here tonight. Yes. And I had corrective insoles. Ladies. Uh, <laughs> I, had, I have high arches. 
So you could stand. You should see me point. You should see me on when I'm on point. <laughs> I took movement. I. <laughs> yeah, everybody took movement. Everybody. Do you dance? I took movement. <laughs> I, I went to college to learn how to move. I, you seem like you've manufactured a lot of meaning. That, that's what I feel coming from you when you do the show. What is it that you What do you mean manufactured meaning? You, need, you can't just do that job, the job that you're doing. You can't just show up and do it. You need to find a purpose, right? Yeah, yeah. We have what, to care about what you're question. talking about. What, I don't think you can fake that. What are you doing? What, what, is what your, are we doing? Yeah, what is your purpose? Our purpose on the show, and this is an evolving, this is an evolving purpose. The, the general organizing principle is... I think that all of these shows, traditionally and presently, like, you know, from early, like, you know, even from Steve Allen or really Jack Parr days up till now, it's the show, the monologue is at its best. Hopefully it's about what the, whatever the national conversation is. What were people talking about today? Yeah. And so we try to never let that national conversation, what people are talking about today, what the leading things that Anderson Cooper is going to talk about tonight on the show. While we don't mistake ourselves for news, we know that that's going to be the majority of the conversation going on in the country right now, especially a country that's so absorbed with its politics right now, and it has been really since the 2000 election, um, that we're going to talk about that and never let any of it, if we can, not let any of it get by. That's why we do massive, mo- we, I'll do a, I've done, I've done a 26-minute monologue, I think, and I mean, classically, they're like eight minutes long. Yeah. And, and so we do the longest we can so we don't let any of it get by, even if it sort of pushes back the rest of the show. Yeah. And right now, now so, so we're talking about what people are talking about today. People are talking about mostly, can you believe what happened today? Can you believe what he said today? Is that normal? That doesn't seem normal, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy. Maybe... He keeps telling me that what I'm seeing and hearing isn't what's happening, so I mean, he's the president, maybe he knows more than I do, maybe I'm crazy. Our show is to say, you're not crazy. <laughs> this is crazy. And that, that is, like, that is, right now, that is sort of the overarching idea of the community that we're trying to create in the show, is like, Everybody in here, I want to tell you these jokes. If you laugh at them, that means you understand my point of view. That means I'm not crazy, and I need that as a performer. That's my honest, like, oh, you agree with that? Oh, fantastic. Then I'm not insane to think that he's insane, or this isn't normal, or there are wild violations of norms going on all the time that inch by inch are eroding our standards as a nation. And so the fact that you laugh at the joke makes me feel great. And then, and then I, and then, and then the audience, hopefully, you know, hopefully gets the sense of like, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's how I feel. And that's the, that's the shared feeling. That's, that's the invitation and the intimacy between myself and 450 people or, you know, I don't know how many people watch the monologue, 5 million, something like that. Yeah. 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 So that's the purpose of the show. I hear the intention. It's inter- solidarity is is a big thing for me too. When when we're laughing, we're not alone. So you're you're we're getting laughing. We're not afraid, and we're not afraid. Yeah, you but, can't laugh and be afraid at the same time. That was my next question. Was it's it's not just sharing information. What I'm just interested in is the value of comedy to you. Being silly, especially you're a silly silly bean. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I, I I'm tell a silly you goose. every time I see you that Val and I watch Colbert Christmas 
three times every Christmas. Oh, that's nice. And, and when you're dancing on Strangers with Candy, and when we saw you being a silly Billy up there, we love that you're, you're salty sweet. You can be, you know, Stephen Colbert, almost like a news person, and then I'll, you can do a mean jig. So I'm wondering, what is the value? Semi-pro, semi-pro jigger. <laughs> I could go pro. I could go pro. It's not, the, the value for go. me is not information, the, 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 the emotional information. I, I try really hard not to break a story for the audience. Yeah. I don't want them to learn from me what happened. Yeah. I want them to have already thought about it, and then I, I get a sense during the day what people are thinking about, and then I tell them what I thought about it, or what we collectively, because you know, there's, there's a, a team of writers, a team of producers, all of us go into creating what that, I'm the, t- I'm the tip of the spear, you yep. know, of a, of a huge organization that's making the show every day. I'm a vehicle in some ways. Um, the, I'm, the, I'm both the seed crystal and the sort of the final thing. Right. Um, but I don't, I don't, uh, I don't really want to give information to them. So what the value of comedy and the value of comedy in my own life. I mean, I, I can only imagine that there's somebody out there who feels about, hopefully I would love to think there are people out there who feel about my show the way I felt when I was a kid about my favorite comedians, whether it was like Carson himself or any of this. My, my mom would let me stay up if there was a stand up on, even though I never did stand up. Um, I, I would let me see if there was John Biner or David Brenner or, uh, yeah. were on. Um, see, or Steve Martin. Hard. My or, mother was like that too. The, the funny pages were like left out. That seems like such a small thing, but she was like, no, read the silly part of the newspaper as, as well. You know? right. So that value was given to you being silly and watching comedy was important yeah. and fostered in you. And then when I was a kid, I just, which is not a secret, my father and two of my brothers died when I was quite young. And that was a very lonely time after that. Not that people were un, unkind or distant to me, but you just, you become distant when yeah. that happens to a young person because the world doesn't make a lot of sense to you. And all, all, all normative forms just disappear for you. And I was very bad at school because how could you discipline me? What could you do to me? Right. What could you possibly do to me that I'd be afraid of at yeah. this point? My and therapist so, would say you already have a shark bite out of your torso. You're not afraid to go swimming. It's, right. I'm, they already got me. I would not go back in the water if a shark had just bit me. <laughs> I'm not sure. I want to talk to your He's not I really. I want to talk to your therapist. He's not really a therapist. Exactly. He's, he's a guy who hangs out in my neighborhood. Exactly. <laughs> He's a guy who hangs out my neighborhood. He doesn't have arms. He's got big teeth. He's got a fin. <laughs> he's going to say, come in the water. Come in the water. It'll be fine. No, but so I listened to a lot of comedy albums when I was a kid. I Which one? To, uh, I listened to George Carlin, um, Class Clown. I listened to, I listened to, and bear with me here, I listened to Bill Cosby's Very Funny Fellow Wright and Bill Cosby's Wonderfulness. And there were, I could do, you could drop a needle anywhere on those albums. I could just, I could just do all the jokes What's on a those Cuban? albums. Well, what's a cubit? A cubit. I used to know what a cubit was. Yeah. Uh, and the point is, and uh, that's God talking back. <laughs> but that's as right. church folk, uh, Cosby, uh, you know, con- noted. Free. Noted. <laughs> yes. Um, that was important to, to churchy folks like us because he was clean, right? I mean, that was sure. helpful. Sure. Anyway. That didn't matter to me. That didn't matter to oh, me. Oh, really? No, because I listened with headphones on. I listened to... <laughs> I would listen to the headphones on so my mom could not hear George Carlin saying the seven dirty words you can never say on television. Yeah. Do you know the words? Shit, piss, fuck, cunt, cock, so motherfucker, and tits. <laughs> and they have never, ever meant so much to me as they do now working on the CBS television network. 
Because at Comedy Central, at Comedy Central, we had a list of like things we could or could not say. And I could say some of those. I think I could say tits. Yeah. I think I could say tits. And I think I could say the fle- a fleeting shit or something like that. Yeah. But not CBS. No. No, you can't even show animals having sex on CBS. You can't even show a pencil drawing of two frogs. That sounds very Having surreal. sex. And the reason was, is that we had some story about some frog that had been found. It was like the equivalent of, we do this thing called Meanwhile, which is like not hot topic news stories. People love Meanwhile. The people, the people love Meanwhile, Chris. Meanwhile is a great, meanwhile is a great, it's a great panacea for us too. It's so soothing. It's a sorbet. Because the rule of, uh, the rule of meanwhile is that there can't, there's, uh, it's almost no politics. Try no politics if possible and definitely no Trump. So twice a night we do, we do a whole act, which is none of that. Yes. Just, uh, just, uh, just a rinse. Telling just, you. just as like a bum shower, you know. <laughs> just a rag in the bathroom of comedy. Just <laughs> trying to wipe him off a little bit so you can get the smell off yeah. of you for another before the guest goes out there just a couple of rose petals up here <laughs> on to the next act just oh. pits tits and shits that's Steven. exactly right just the pits nobody rides for free <laughs> um, so that's anyway so we, we had this we had this story where there were these it was a non-political story of these two frogs these amazonian frogs and there was something about the mating rituals and the, of these frogs and over my shoulder we had just a pencil drawing from a scientific journal of these two frogs very stylized no details but yeah. clearly one frog on top of another and we got a notice from the network saying yeah you can't show that <laughs> and i said they're they're frogs. There's no, they literally have, both of them have internal genitalia. You yeah. can't, there's no seeing it. Nope. And we got a note that said, do I have this right? CBS does not show animals fucking. <laughs> that's right. Quote, unquote. And now that's in an email. That's in an email. <laughs> If we get hacked by the Russians, that's the first thing they're going to put up. <laughs> so that's also written on the wall. We have a, lot of the, a lot of the notes we've gotten from the network are written on the wall of the rewrite room. This is one of <laughs> and, and, so, um, uh, and so the next night, so we had to blur it. We didn't know what the answer was going to be, so we're like, I don't know if they're going to blur this, but I'm telling you, there are two frogs in my OTS so over somebody here. Somebody had to figure out which part of internal genitalia to blur? There was no place to blur. So the next <laughs> night, we did another story completely made up about tandem skydiving frogs. <laughs> and we used the exact same graphic. I've called it Tandem Skydiving Frogs. They did not blur it. They did not blur it. Because it wasn't Tandem Skydiving Frogs. I once said on air, Sturcus Usu Wenit, which is Latin for approximately shit happens. It means like dung, it comes to pass. <laughs> I'm going to start saying that. And they bleeped it. They'd said they would bleep it if I said it, if I said shit happens in Latin. In case there was a monk tuning in? <laughs> Wait a minute. I'm pretty sure Francis watches. <laughs> Pope Francis. Big show. I'm a big Catholic. I've yeah, been called the no. Pope of television. 
Would you ever want to perform for the Pope like Jim Gavigan? Yeah. Yeah, I would. I would jig. It would be a thrill. Sure. Oh, of course. Yeah. Come on, El Papa. Do you like the constraints, though? I mean, these are Oh, I do. Stories. I really do. I really like the constraints. Yeah. Do anything is a terrible note. But, you right. know. Right. I, I love constraints. Because if you were careful. I also like, sh- I also, I mean, I like acts. I like. The commercial. I like commercial breaks. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'd like, I mean, I, HBO or whatever, whatever streaming, I wouldn't mind be able to say a bad word or something like that, but I don't care. Or some Latin. Or some Latin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Tell, tell, I, I was very interested about the pen. You, you told, told the story about when you stopped using a pen on the show. When you were well, talking about how you don't want people to see you as, as a newscaster. And was it Right, because I was a fake newscaster. No, it was a, it was a different producer. Oh, I'm sorry. And, uh, um, and uh, one of my producers came up to me, and I forgot who I was about to interview. Because I always had a pen on the old show, the Colbert Report. I pointed with it, and it was a very specific pen. The pen almost got applause. <laughs> well, we sold them. We sold them. Like, I had the pen. You did? We sold the pen. You can get the pen online. You used to be able to get the pen online. What fun. And um, it lit up and everything. Okay. And, and it was my pen, and I used it every night. And I pointed with it, and I threw it up and caught it, and it was, it was, it was a thing. Matter of fact, when the president, President o- Obama, when the President Obama came on the show for the last time. Yeah. We remember. We remember. I he wanted, he, he I wanted to do an impression of me. Oh. So he said, all right, where's the pen? And that was the first thing he needed was the pen. So anyway, but when I, on the new show, one and of my producers he, came up to me and said, Put, throw the pen away. Don't use a pen for this interview. He said, just talk to them. Because the pen, it's like you're going to take notes what they're going to say. Yeah. You go, and I just threw it away. And I only keep the pen if I'm talking to a politician now. I keep the pen if, like, you know, Bernie's on, or I keep the pen if Kamala Harris is on, or something like that. Why? You know, well, Kinzinger was on the other night. I think I kept the pen. Why? Yeah. Because I want to actually ask them questions in a more orderly fashion, and I use it literally. I take I take notes about the things that they're saying. So yeah. I, I will I'll do follow up questions in a in a more newsy way because they're having my normal guests, entertainment guests, aren't having to defend their project. Right. But they have to defend their policies or their positions, so I want to make sure I get it right. And I'm, yeah. I'm looking at the right things. Because yeah. I've got a good memory. I've got a good memory, but I don't want to misquote them. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a crazy time. It's wonderful to have you. I remember when you started doing Late Night, there was a real excitement because we needed you. We needed you to start doing this kind of Late Night. Jay Leno just went on the record. I don't know if you went on the record. <laughs> Really? They wrote yeah. it down. They He's wrote it very, down. He said, I'm pro-denim. It's on the record. Wow. No, he, he, he said that he doesn't miss it because of all the politics, whereas you have certainly folded that in. Yes, I heard what Jay said. He yeah. said, I mean, I, I agree with what he said. I mean, he said it was, a, it was a different time when he was hosting, as he said, like, you know, I think he said Clinton was horny and Bush was dumb, you know? Yeah. And now there's, there, now there's one subject. Yeah. So people see your politics more when you do it now. But I'm fine with that. Right. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, I, th- I think what this person is doing is damaging to the nation uh, with jokes. Right. But always with jokes and never forgetting that it's jokes. Yeah. I don't want to go out there. I don't ever want to go out there and think that what I'm saying, I don't think what I'm saying is important. I don't think it's going to change people's minds. I don't think that I'm a political player. I don't think that I should be taken seriously. But I do think that I, I, I feel seriously about what's going on in the country. Everybody seems to be feeling pretty seriously about it, or a large number of people. And, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm, there to, I'm there to make everybody feel better to know that they're not alone in that feeling. Right. I think that's beautiful, and I wouldn't change it for the world, but... <laughs> wow. I hope you don't say that to your wife ever. <laughs> I think you're beautiful, and I wouldn't change anything for the world, but... <laughs> it's... <laughs> don't make me say it. <laughs> Yes, go ahead. But we're talking about Carlin, and Carlin talked about, at the moment of laughter, it's one of my favorite Carlin quotes, is this vulnerability, a beautiful vulnerability. Maybe On behalf a, of the audience's vulnerability? When you're laughing, you're spacious, is basically what he said. Sure. Because you're not afraid. Right. And, beca- and you're not afraid, and you sort of forget who you are. It's a, it's a beautiful, timeless place. Laughing is a little bit like orgasming. Com- totally. I don't want to... Okay, back to my wife. Um, we'll get there. I'm thirstier than you are. I don't understand. I don't know. I thought it was weird this whole time. Are you a lizard person? You find out. Find out at the after party. I knew it. Um, Is there an after party, by the way? I don't think so. Okay. Look at our faces, Stephen. We're not after party people. <laughs> Why? Because we're too pale? Yeah. We're too... No. Can we get a one shot of these faces? Hey! Where's the party? (laughs) Nobody's letting us through ropes. Mm -hmm. And... You'd never be... uh, It's funny if you were let through those ropes. That's 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 what Chandling said to Seinfeld. Shanling said, when will I be comfortable at a party? And Seinfeld said, the moment you're comfortable at a party is the moment you stop being funny, which I thought was perfect. Well, then I'm hilarious. <laughs> but yet... Is well, he... You know the thing about yeah. that? Is I, 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 big influences for me, not that you asked, but it made me think, Carlin, Carlin and, and Steve Martin and, and Cosby and David Fry. I don't know if you know who he was. He did... He had... Everybody did, like, everybody who did Richard Nixon was really doing David Fry's Richard Nixon. He, he had this famous album called Richard Nixon, A Fantasy, which was about, long before Nixon left office, it was about the, uh, Nixon's, um, he played multiple characters with Gabe Kaplan, who was very funny. Um, people don't give him his props. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah, great yeah. impressionist, too. And um, Gabe pa- Kaplan's grandfather is <laughs> And, um, and, um, so that, that, was a, that was a great political influence, political comedy influence. But Mad yeah. Magazine. Mad, Mad Magazine was yeah. probably my number one comedic yeah. influence as a kid. I loved it. William G. Gaines. And William G. Gaines said that Mad Magazine could never be printed on glossy paper because it could never be respectable. Interesting. It's important that it always be on pulp. Yes. Yeah, so it always looked cheap. Yes. And it always looked worthless. Yes. You know, it had no respectability. It's so important not to be respectable. I, and, it, and it didn't show respect. That was a very powerful thing as a child. You know yeah. what I mean? In the good way. Sure. It was irreverent. And you'd read it and you're like, oh, right. All of these roles we're playing, including dad and mom and the teacher. Movie they're all star, because all the parodies they did. Absolutely. Yep. They're taking down 90210. You know what I mean? That's- Smell gross place. <laughs> Starblech. <laughs> my favorite but comedy is so much better when it's on the outside making fun of the thing yeah which is why it's it's weird that you're so normal you know you, you, how do you know that i'm normal I maybe suppose... i'm very odd but i have a candy coating 
Maybe I'm an M&M filled with fire ants, but on the outside, it's what? a beautiful candy shell of normative mid-century American, you know, white, straight Christian male. Yes. Which is, that was the idea of the Colbert Report, was that I, I am, I kind of am the thing I was parodying. White, straight, Christian, male, American, a guy who perceives that as America neutral, you know? Why do all these other people need all these special rights? Right. Why can't they, look, why can't everybody just be white? And, <laughs> and, and I'm so glad I don't do that show anymore because that's, that's an actual political position now. <laughs> Yeah, it's not, it wouldn't even be weird now. It would be so yeah. hard to do that character and leapfrog. Like, Glenn Beck was hard to leapfrog. Yeah. Glenn Beck was hard to do the show about. We eventually kind of gave up and kind of ignored him. But, um, and uh, I think we were a harbinger of things to come there. And, <laughs> but this president would be impossible. So much better to drive straight at him for me. I wouldn't right. want to do a parody of this cat. Obviously, I, I... Do you mind if I use jazz lingo for this interview? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that... Cat. Yeah. Daddy-o. Are you cool with that, Daddy-o? I prefer hep to hip. You're, you're hep? Are you hep? hep are, you, are you hip to how hep I am? <laughs> I think I know what we're sure. saying. You're way gone. You are way gone, Daddy. Well, you are... <laughs> I like... My band leader, John Baptiste, the great John Baptiste. He's... That's real. I mean, he is a way-gone cat. Like, he really is. And he talks like that, and he means it. It's fantastic. I need more friends, just in general. <laughs> you're, you're interviewing me tonight. It's really just a cry for help. Yes, it is. I was told there might be a dinner afterwards. We'll see. I'm on thin ice. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. Just the appetizers. Sure. <laughs> Valerie, you're definitely invited. Yes. Um, what was I going to say? I don't know. <laughs> Who cares? I do think it's interesting as, as a Jesus-leaning oh, person. Normal yeah. yeah, normal looking, stuff. Normal yeah, but Jesus. Please, please don't misunderstand or take it as an insult that I think you're normal. That's Obviously, fine. you're exceptional and, and weird. Hold on. <laughs> all kinds of, all kind of hot-button words you use in there, buddy. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I am interested, you know, that you stay uh, in the Catholic circle and, and married and kids. I'm and all interested that sort of in stuff. that too. I don't. Yeah, that is a mystery to me. Yeah. I, it's like they're, the Catholic Church is trying really hard to get people to leave right now. <laughs> they're really, 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 really inverse missionary. It's an acid test right now. <laughs> How much do you believe in the Eucharist? <laughs> How much do you believe? Do you believe in transubstantiation? Uh, sure. Literally? Well, that's an excellent question. Because and I'm not going to define transubstantiation. This is only for those that are in. I'm Here's just the thing. Here's the thing. That's the belief that when you take the Eucharist, it turns into the body of Christ. It's already literally. the body of Christ before you take it. I thought it, it's bread here, and once it goes in, no, no, it's, it's bread not- after this. It's bread after the priest does but this. But then we can see. What? You can see. It's a wafer. It's a... <laughs> the cap! 
Yes. Yes. Yes, it is. It's a wafer. Well, that's then... all we have time for tonight. <laughs> no, no, it's a, it's a, mis- it's a, it's a, it's a mystery. You know, do you say, do you believe in transubstantiation? I do believe in transubstantiation in the same degree that I believe that, um, you know, uh, God made the heavens and the earth, you know, like that, that there is some mystery beyond, of this existence. It, uh, the, 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 the water and the wine becoming the blood of Christ and the bread becoming the body of Christ is no more mysterious to me than the fact that you and I are right here. Yep. That why there is something instead of nothing is a much bigger mystery to me than whether that bread has become the body of Christ. It's, it's, it's the er, it's the, it's the bottom line moment of mystery and suspension and awe. Right. That if you can hook into that, if you, if, you can, if you can every so often just remind yourself how strange it is to be anything at all, then what is best about my church, which I perceive as someone who grew up in the low country of South Carolina, is like a cluster of oysters. And when you go to an oyster roast, and there's a cluster of oysters there covered with mud and, and, and dirt and seaweed, and somebody's hosed it off, and they put it in a steamer or on a fire to open it up and you put on a big old oyster glove so don't cut yourself up and you take a knife and you work your way through and some of those oysters are full of meat and sweet and some of them full of mud and some of them have a little crab in it or something like that. I, and I'm sure that this is not the way my church would want me to do it, that's how I look at the last 2,000 years of my church is I'm going through this cluster, this aggregate of everything that has grown on top of the words of Christ and the story of Christ and the gift of Christ. And I try to take from it what is nourishing. Now, because I feel like I can disagree with my church you know, and pick and choose like that, there's a word for that, and it's called a Protestant. <laughs> and yet, and yet, and yet, I, I, no one has kicked me out yet. Yeah. No one's kicked me out yet. Right. But there, there's, there's far more uh, Stephen-thinking Catholics out there as well. They're not... Sure. I heard one yes. <laughs> sure. But we, we were talking... So you're saying the, the miracle of transubstantiation is an opportunity for you, Stephen, to humble yourself and play in the space of mystery. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's an attitude of uh, humility. Just going to Mass is an attitude of humility. Right. Yeah. And that's important. For, we, no, no lie, backstage, before we came out, we were talking about how... Some, something's holding our molecules together. There's like a force that's holding... What was the scientist that you referenced? Oh, well, Teilhard de Chardin. He was a Jesuit priest and, and scientist. Yeah. yeah. So we, and, and we were talking about... My fa- one of my favorite def- definitions of God is Dante's. And he said, God is the love that hung the stars. So something that's keeping what is, is. I think that's a very liberal... Inf- and that seems to be your area. Sure. But you like the Christ story... Oh, yeah. To the I'm exclusion. A huge fan. I, I know huge you fan. do, but to, I think. But really, fan, like, wow, that's a really cool story. Right. He had a ro- hard road to hoe, and he did it. Do you know what I mean? Like, he didn't turn away from, from the, well, as we're asked to, from the cross that we're asked to bear. Right. He didn't, he drank from that cup. Yeah. You know? What is, is there something in you from which you could not retreat? Is there, is something that would be asked of you that is you? that is not your appetites, that is just you from which you cannot retreat. Mm. And that, that's the cross you have to bear to be true to yourself. Right. Who are you? And, yeah. Ah, sure. Have you ever read A Man for All Seasons? No. 
Uh, I, gave, I gave Chris a first edition of Man for All Seasons when he first started to come work for me to let him know, like, just read the introduction by Robert Boltz about uh, Thomas More, St. Thomas More if you're a Catholic, and he got it. Are they bringing out a copy? No. <laughs> have realizing... we talked too long? No, I'm realizing I haven't checked in on the time. Is it... We're good. How are, are we? we? I don't know. We okay? <laughs> I realized that they wow, might be... Wow, it's been going on for a while. Lighting me from talking. there, and I was like, I thought maybe they'd be lighting me from behind you, because oh. I'll be looking this way, but maybe sure. they're not. When are we supposed to stop? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Oh, here we go. Here's a sign. No? A sign? You can just yell it. Are you rating the interview? Walk that out here. <laughs> no, hold it up high. That was nice. <laughs> Thank you. That's very nice. We got a 10 out of 10, Steve. Nailed it. I, w- I would love to talk more about uh, Jesus, but... Um... Paley Fest is mostly, mostly a Christian festival, isn't it? <laughs> you will all leave here tonight healed... Should, it's up to us. We could, uh, I could wrap up with a couple simple questions, or we could open up to the audience for one or two. What? Why, don't, why don't we get a couple from you guys? There's some mic runners. We literally are can there? only do a couple. I'm so sorry we talked for so long. But it, you guys are such a great crowd. It would be lovely to hear from you. Uh, are, are there any mic runners way up there for, in, the, in, the, the, uh, in the Mama Colbert seat? The people closest, people closest to God up there. Well, Stephen, the sky is also below us, so... Okay, Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, if we think God's in the sky, you could point down as well. That's true. That Why, is true. We, they told me only this area because that's where the mics are. I'm so sorry, uh, Balcony. I know. All right, you want to yell your question, one of you can yell a question. One person. Everybody be quiet. Everybody be quiet. Someone raise their hand in the balcony up there. Oh, okay, that woman, that man right there, I see you. Stand up. <laughs> I see you. Stand up, sir. You. Stand up. Yes, stand up. Yes, now everyone be quiet. Yell your question. He's asking someone else what he should yell. <laughs> you, sir. Yes. Did Trump learn from watching you? <laughs> Did Trump learn from watching me? What is this, that drug commercial from the 90s? I learned it you from mean watching like, you. like from my old character? Is that what you mean? Oh. Uh, he could have. He's stolen a lot of my lines. <laughs> he's stolen. Like, what was the big thing? He's, we did a thing about it. He, he stole the thing the other day. We actually ran a clip of me saying it on the old show. I think he said, I, I don't think up here. I think with my gut, he said. That's what he said. I don't use my brain. I use my gut. And that's literally the opening of the Colbert Report, the very first show. <laughs> Truthiness, I said, you know, there are more nerve endings in your stomach than there are in your brain. Now you're going to say, I looked that up and that's not true. And I'll say, that's because you looked that up in a book. (laughs) Next time, look that up in your gut. First show, and he just said that. Beautiful. He is a delicious idiot. (laughs) Just. I remember 
pretty early on, pretty early on in the Trump administration. I remember Chris, because Chris is in our rewrite room. He's checking to see what the, like, the late, latest stories are. People talk about that night. And, 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 he, and he looked up to me and goes, are you sure you want to call the president of the United States an idiot? And I said, I'm pretty sure. I know. Okay, down here. Yeah. Down here. Sorry, thank you, sir. I hope you feel that love. I get so excited knowing that you're out there for us. I don't want to get sentimental, but it means so much to us. Oh, that's nice. It really does. It means a lot to me. Yeah. Why? Because it's more fun when you do it. Do you want to pick somebody from the lower? Sure. Just who, who, where would you have mics? It's more fun. Uh, uh, who wears the mic man? Go to that man next to you. Go to that man next to you. Yes. Man with a fantastic tan. <laughs> he waited for applause for the tan. <laughs> And it didn't put a lot of work into it. Steve, I'm class of North, um, Northwestern, class of 87. Go oh, Cats. Woo. Wow. <laughs> what is this, Shark Tank? Sorry. <laughs> uh, so what I'm wondering is, uh, in the early days of the current show, um, when you presumably were negotiating with CBS for how political, how sharp your humor was going to be able to get, what was that like for you those first year or two? Um, uh, it and... wasn't the first year or two. It was the first six months. <laughs> okay. Really. Honest to God, six months in, for the first six months, I didn't, I'm sure what to do. I'd been so political and from a very subjective point of view, doing a subjective comedy in the character. And when we first started the show, we actually were pretty darn political right at the very beginning. And then we went away with it. We went away from it. We're like, ah, this is too much like the old gig. Let's go away from it. And then that did not feel right either. And then we were just kind of like swimming around going, oh, God. We've tried two things. What do we do now? And, and then six months in, Chris came in and he goes, why don't you do the thing you're really good at, which is to talk about what happened today? You're so good at doing it really fast. Let's try that. So, I mean, and, and we did that about six or seven months into the show, and then people noticed that next fall. People noticed about a year in that we were doing that. And then, and then my only fear was that people wouldn't, People wouldn't come back and notice that people wouldn't resample the show to see that we had found the way we wanted to do it. But those first six, how did it feel? Felt terrible because you're you're having to reinvent a new way to do a show. I mean, I've I had never in my entire life done anything as myself. I had always done something in character. I was an actor. I said to Baby Doll, my, my the James Baby Doll Dixon, the true king of late night over there, my 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 manager. I said, Baby Doll, if I take this job, it's the first time in you I've ever just been me. I don't know if I can do that. So I had to learn how to do something I'd never done before with a camera pointed at me on national television. I don't recommend that feeling. (laughs) But I never lost faith that we would find the way to connect to the audience because that's what I wasn't feeling, the connection. And I never lost faith that my staff wouldn't be able to do it. And really part of it was trusting them more, was to step away and to allow them to to know me and and for me to trust them. And so uh, it, it, was not a, it, was not a, it was not a great feeling, but I never doubted that we would find it eventually. Okay, somebody over here. How about, uh, we have not had a question. We have not had a question from a woman yet. How about this woman in the stri- striped shirt? Hi, Stephen. Hello. Um, my question, first of all, I just want to say what an honor to spend the evening with you because oh, that's been one be of here. my bucket lists. Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, Last week was Justin Timberlake. This week it's you. Very, <laughs> it's very been a good similar. week. It's been very a good week. Similar. It's been a good week. Yes. He brought the sexy back. I'm going to take it away. No, no. 
it's all you. It's all you. Um, I just wanted to ask in regards to those of us that are strong Christians that follow you. Um, I, I follow wanna, Christ, hopefully. And you we, just... we follow Christ. But we follow you. We follow you on Instagram. We follow you on social media. And your voice is very important to, I think, <laughs> a lot of us out there. Uh-huh. Um, we see the same. But my question is, in if you have the opportunity for dinner, who would you have dinner with? Alive or dead? Alive or dead? We all know the game. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, alive Uh, or dead? Yeah. Well, I would go for alive and dead and go with Jesus first. Thank you. Thank you. Of Nazareth, headlining the dinner. Um, oh, I, I mean, I don't know. I would, I would like to, I mean, I'm such a huge Tolkien fan. I would want to have dinner with the professor. I would want, you're tapping your husband on the head to thank, to congratulate him for my answer. Uh, well, Tolkien, I'd like to do, I'd like to do, uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, um, uh, boom, 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 um, uh, Thank you very much. <laughs> I mean, these are pretty pedestrian. I'd like to do Lincoln. I'd, I'd, like, to have, I'd like to have dinner with Lincoln. And, um, uh, and, and, and my wife, I guess. The three of us. <laughs> we'll take out the I yeah. guess in post. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my wife, I guess. I guess. J.R.R. Tolkien, the king of kings, and I guess my wife. <laughs> I feel like we have time for one more. Yes. Let's go a little bit further back up on this aisle. Can you go beyond the red rope? Go beyond the red rope of shame. <laughs> Let those people into the club. Yeah, why were they corralled? Yes. On the, on the left, there's a woman in a black uh, top with long sleeves with her hand up. Sure. Either one, you pick. Make them fight for the Hi. mic. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm such a huge fan. I've been watching for a while. Um, first of all, just a quick question. I was wondering how John Stewart is doing under your desk. I was wondering if he's still doing well. He's doing great. Good he's to know. He's doing great. We hose it out every so often, and we give him some. We give him some fresh hay, and everything's everything's just great. He stopped biting at his hands. Oh, that's good. That's good. We let him out. He's free range now. Oh, good. Okay. Gotta let him roam free. And what? I was just wondering if you ever miss musical theater, and if you miss If singing... I miss musical theater, no, because I never really did musical theater. I was, in my, I was in Annie Get Your Gun in high school. The biggest thing I've ever done was... Uh, uh, Stephen Sondheim asked me if I would be uh, Harry in Company, and and uh, I, I, I was doing the show at the time, the old show, Colbert Report. I was like, I can't possibly do it. How could I possibly do it? This is like in the middle of my production. I can't go to Lincoln Center and do a weekend of Company. And then I got a letter from him saying, no, I think you'd be great. You've got a perfectly fine voice for this role. Please, please do it. And my wife, I read the letter to her. She read the letter, and Evie goes, no one let alone Stephen Sondheim, is ever going to ask you to sing Sondheim. <laughs> you have to do it. So I, I, I did it, and I'm, I'm honored to have done it, but it was the most terrifying thing I've ever done. I like singing. I like singing just for fun, and I, I don't really have a trained voice, but if I could play a role, I would want to play Judas in Jesus Christ Superstar. 
I, I think we're out of time. I'm sorry, I see the hands. Um, I know, but we'll be at Arby's. <laughs> we'll be at Arby's. Horsey sauce for everybody. Crispy curls on a Coke. No problem. I do want to say, I, I can't summarize how all the love that the people feel in this room for you, but in a time where there are so many ugly mouthpieces saying things that aren't in our hearts, it's wonderful to have you out there fighting for us and doing it for us. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. Thank you so Thank you.